welcome to That Time When, the comedy history podcast where we talk about strange things that have happened in history. I'm Amelia Edwards, and with me, as ever, is my co-host, Barnaby King. Hello there. Hello. And happy Black History Month. Way. Way. I celebrated it by doing nothing about Black History last week. <laughs> yeah, we're a little bit bad on Black History Month, I think, sometimes. Um but also, it is also Halloween month, which is our favourite holiday yes, as well, is which is our sort of excuse. Yeah. We're sorry. <laughs> well, we try. We try. And <laughs> here's my attempt at trying today. Since it's Black History Month, it's time for me to talk about a really, 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 really controversial film. Oh, excellent. You know I love a good film. And a controversial one, A controversial too. one. Ooh. The highest grossing movie in cinema history to this day... Uh, Avengers Endgame. <laughs> if you round up for inflation. Oh, Gone with the Wind. Gone with the Wind. Oh, I know all about that film. Tell me about it. Uh, well, it's about this woman who lives in this rural part of the country and she gets swept up in a tornado <laughs> and lands in a magical land and she has to go and see the Wizard of Oz. Uh, and I think there's a war involved somewhere as well. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. Actually, the Wizard of Oz was up for Oscar nominations at the same time as Gone with the Wind. What's the Wizard of Oz? The one that you're talking about right now. I'm talking about Gone with the Wind. <laughs> you know, it's the one where um, the Tin Man says to her, frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. <laughs> wow, that would be a really different And she, she has to make a dress out of curtains for the Scarecrow, and everyone's real racist about the lion. <laughs> Why would they be racist about the lion in particular? I don't know. Racism. I guess, yeah. I mean, there's no rhyme or reason to it, really. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well... I just need to get this out of the way. I think that Gone with the Wind is the most problematic piece of media that I really love. Ah, fair enough, yeah. I deeply, deeply enjoy Gone with the Wind, <laughs> but also there's a lot of slavery in it and the slaves are happy. Yeah. Which I disagree with. Yeah, we, we watched... So when I first saw it, Amelia and I watched it together. Um, it was like... It was a rainy day yeah. in like 2014. Yeah. And... It was one of those things where it's like, we've got nothing else to do. Let's watch this six-hour film. Yeah. So we sat down, and I remember we put it on, and the first thing that comes up is this long text scroll, a sort of Star Wars text scroll that talks about the glorious time of the South and the Confederacy. Oh, man. It says, <laughs> There was a land of cavaliers and cotton fields called the Old South. Here in this pretty world, gallantry took its last bow. Here was the last ever to be seen of knights and their ladies fair, of master and slave. Look for it only in books, for it is no more than a dream remembered, a civilization gone with the wind. I don't know why, but when you read it just then, I had the last of the summer wine theme in my head. <laughs> well, I mean, it's that kind of like, it's deep nostalgia, isn't it? Yeah. And then it goes ahead and it portrays this really beautiful version of the plantation but owners of the Old South. Yeah. They're just flirting and eating barbecue and basically being people out of Pride and Prejudice. Yeah. Um, and they treat their slaves with kindness. Yes, and the slaves appreciate it. They you know? do. The slaves can't look after themselves. They're mentally the same as children, oh as portrayed God. in this film. Yeah. I mean, they are. No, I know. Um, except for Mammy. Right. Except Mammy can't look after the estate by herself. Right. This is clear. Do you want to explain who Mammy is? So, Mammy being the 
nurse of the young ladies who has now become their kind of governess style mm. looking after person. She's a um a house slave. She is a house slave. Yeah. Um, she's an older house slave. Yeah. And she's allowed a certain amount of respect among the white folks yeah this is one of those things where it's why it's why gone with the wind is so difficult to talk about because yeah. it's like the character of mammy is actually quite good oh she's like, amazing yeah. i'm going to talk about her in a bit awesome i think she's fantastic but also she's deeply problem yeah the, the very existence of the character and the way that you know she's treated as being you know kind she's, of she, kind of superior but also inferior at the same time yeah and that, just that sort of thing where it's like she's chill about the situation oh she's very happy about it and when they can't pay like or when they can't sort of afford to keep her and then they can't pay her after the war she still she stays with them because she's part of their family Mm. and it's like I'm sure given difficult times that there were probably a number of ex-enslaved people who did stay with the family that they'd been with before but like it's just real uncomfortable to see it portrayed in a bit of media yeah and also without her side on anything she's just happy about it she doesn't seem to have any family Mm. of her own which seems deeply unlikely yeah that's really the thing is that there is no acknowledgement of you know any potential bad sides of slavery on this plantation as far as we're concerned all of those damn yankees just don't understand how black people should be treated. Yes, exactly. Or something, I don't know. It's it's not great. No, it really isn't. Um, frankly, the whole thing's an absolute fairy tale of the antebellum South. Yeah. Which is maybe the reason why, sort of, I, I think I first watched it when I was about 12, and not knowing anything about black history or about the history of America, mm. and not being of enough of an inquisitive mind at that point. Right. I saw nothing wrong with it. Yeah. It's only when I've grown older that I've been like, mm, I agree with a lot of the issues raised yeah. here. Yeah. But when it's portrayed as that kind of fairy tale like existence, you kind of go, yeah, okay, and roll with it. Yeah. I I mean, obviously, like as I said, like we were, I first saw it in two, 2014. Yeah, and the bit with Master and Slave came up and you were like, hang on a sec. And I was like, oh my God, yeah. I forgot about this. Yeah, there were a lot of points where I was like, hmm. Yeah. And you were just like, oh, yeah, yeah, that that didn't remember that. Yeah. That was not part of your memory of no. the film. The thing is, I like the film because I really like Scarlett O'Hara, who is the worst person ever. Yes, yeah, she is. And I like her relationship with Rhett Butler, who is also the worst person ever and yeah. a criminal. Yeah, it is really a lot of bad people doing bad things. But somehow, you know, it's captivating. And you kind of want to see them succeed. I guess, yeah. Like, you want Scarlet and Rhett to get together at the end. And famously, they don't. Yeah. Um, I guess the thing is, like, if you just look at it from their perspective sort of the depiction of the slave trade within that with that as your background would be fine. Yeah. It's just that you get really lovely people like Melanie mm. who think that the slave trade is all okay and you've got to look after them properly and whatnot. Yeah. So if it was just Scarlet being mean to them all the time, it would be much more okay actually. <laughs> you know what I mean? I do know what you mean. There would be a sort of weird ambiguity to things that there is sort of, but not not really. No, no. no. Like you're you're looking at. I mean, as you say, it's a fairy tale. Yeah, 
I mean, I thought that today it would be worthwhile talking about the history of the making of Gone with the Wind mm. because I think it's an important part of Hollywood's black history. Okay. Whether it's good or bad, it's made its mark. Yeah. And I think that needs to be acknowledged and talked about. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. So, Gone with the Wind was produced in 1939. It's... Yeah. It always, it's so old. Yeah, I know. It's one of those things. It's like when you like I brought up the Wizard of Oz because you know it's probably contemporaneous, isn't it? In yeah, fact, about the same year. Yeah, I think there were some people who couldn't be in Gone with the Wind because they were in the Wizard of Oz or vice versa. <laughs> wow, <laughs> but it's that thing where it's like you think back to it and it, it feels like those sorts of films didn't exist at that time like that you didn't have any films in color and definitely not films of that length like yeah it's, it's a thought that barely like sound is only a new thing i know it's mad and also in terms of the portrayal of black people as well obviously it was not great it mm. was not great at the time no but also at the time in 1934 they'd had a production with a gentleman called Al Jolson, a white gentleman. Oh, I know Al Jolson, yes. In blackface, yeah. portraying the South as a paradise full of uh, pork chops and watermelons. Wow. So the writer of the original writer of Gone with the Wind, the novel, was very concerned that this was the vision that was going to be portrayed. Yeah. Even though her vision is not by no means ideal. Mm. It's slightly better, I guess, kind of. At Fair least enough. everybody in Gone with the Wind who plays a black person is black. Yes, that's it's true. A, you know, yeah. it's one of those, it's a small thing. Yeah. It's a start. <laughs> I actually know nothing about the novel or the author. Well, it, it makes it much more clear that Ashley's part of the original Ku Klux Klan. I'll tell you that. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, for the people... <laughs> I'm, I'm sure that... Any of our listeners who don't know Gone with the Wind have probably, like, just shut down a while ago. Maybe we should do a bit of a recap of the story. All right, let's do a recap of the story. So, We've been going for about 10 minutes now, (laughs) and we haven't said about what this film is about, other than it's set on a plantation and there are happy slaves, like... So, the story really is not about the black people at all. They're the backdrop, which is part of the problem, really, but never mind. They are the objects. Yeah. Um, It's about Scarlett O'Hara, who is a willful young girl in the Southern American states. She's deeply in love with this guy called Ashley, who's Mm -hmm. clearly going to marry his cousin. Yeah. Um, Everyone knows that the Wilkes always marry their cousins. Oh, getting real incesty up here. But Scarlett's like, you know what, though? I am hot. (laughs) Um, And they're having a barbecue at the beginning of the film and she's trying desperately to seduce Ashley but he ignores her entirely and is like it's just willfulness I'm gonna marry my cousin (laughs) at this point she meets a sexy older gentleman played by Clark Gable Mm -hmm. called Rhett Butler but he is not a gentleman no and so she's repulsed by him ah disgusting and then the low class scum let's go after that (laughs) Ashley who is definitely gay but is being forced (laughs) to marry his cousin I don't I think Ashley is gay. I don't know. I always had this idea that Ashley is secretly gay. Oh, he's definitely bi. He's got good bi energy. He does, yeah. He does, like, make out with her later on, though. I know, but, you know, there's such a thing as beards. I guess. All right. Um, (laughs) Also, I don't... I don't... (laughs) I don't want to hear about a character having good bi energy and also (laughs) being in the Ku Klux Klan. He's not in the film. I know, He's specifically not in the film. Um, so then war's declared and all of 
uh, Scarlet's bows, because she's got lots of boys who fancy mm-hmm. her, have to go off to war. And she's really upset about this and marries her first husband. And we're talking about the Civil War. We here. are talking about the Civil War. The American Civil the War. The American <laughs> Civil War. They're in the South. They want to keep their slaves, but obviously it's all about states' rights. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, nothing to do with slavery, really. Oh, my, no. Um, so then the Civil War happens, and during the Civil War, first of all, her first husband that she marries dies very quickly, and she's very upset about that, because now she's got to wear black. Yeah. She doesn't suit it. <laughs> um, she flirts a bunch with Clark Gable some more. Yeah. Um, she gets closer to Ashley's wife, cousin mm-hmm. lady, who is lovely. Wife, like, cousin lady. The loveliest person. Yeah. Um, and various other things happen and she tries she has to make it back to Tara which is her plantation Mm. because as her Irish father tells her land is the only thing that lasts yes and then they lose all their money because it's all been taken for the war and then there's that scene of all the dying soldiers oh god yeah it's it's kind of it's like the most epic film which is the reason why it's so good there's the whole scene where they've got all of the soldiers dying in the square of Atlanta over the railroads Mm. and they look at one soldier and then zoom out really slowly and it keeps going for much longer than you think it should yeah and just seeing all the dying people yeah and yeah, so God, we're, we're what we're like two hours in now. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> anyway, um, she flirts a bunch more with Ashley. He's never really into it, even though it turns out that he's desperately, passionately in love with her secretly. But you know, he wants to stick to being a good old-fashioned family man. And ultimately, she gets married to Rhett Butler, the Clark Gable guy. Um, they have a lovely time, but she's still into Ashley, so Rhett dumps her. The end. Nice. Yeah. Well summed up. It doesn't need to be a six-hour film. (laughs) It doesn't. I mean, that was actually one of the complaints about the film when it came out. Oh, really? Was that it was too long. I mean, to be fair, like... So, uh, coming out this month is the Five Nights at Freddy's film. And I I have only a passing interest in Five Nights at Freddy's. But when I saw there was a film, part of me was like, you know what? I might go and see that. And then I heard that the runtime is over three hours, and I'm like, no, I'm not going to go see that. Like, Yeah, that- you could watch Half of Gone with the Wind at that time. <laughs> well, this is what I mean. Like, three hours now. Like, I know, obviously, you get film, like, yeah. a number of films that are three hours, and there was that time period where... All of them were, like, yeah. Cloud Atlas and Life of Pi and Django, uh, Unchained, Django Unchained, Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah. yeah, there was a big glut of them for a while. <laughs> and we were like, please, my ass. <laughs> <laughs> because of uncomfortable cinema seats, I assume, not yes. because you're doing anything with DVDs. Um, <laughs> oh, defunct technology. Um, yeah, so just the idea of a six-hour film. Yeah. Like, it's mad. I mean, I, I guess it makes sense when you have, you know, multiple reels and you have pauses to change over and you can go and get your get your refreshments. It and does have like an that. interval in it, yeah, which you still get on the DVD, yeah. which I love. I love a good <laughs> interval. Yeah, I mean, I guess this is the thing. You kind of feel like maybe, maybe you could do a three-hour film in the cinema with like a break in the middle yeah. just so you can, you know, stretch your legs. Go get more popcorn because you're clearly drink. out. Yeah. 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 I'd be up for that, actually. Anyway, returning to racial issues and yes, gone with sorry. the sorry. <laughs> All right. I just like films. <laughs> so, it was produced in 1939, 
That was as far as we got. Oh, God, yeah. Um, but according to The Atlantic, the issue of the black character's portrayal had actually been raised by African-American groups from about 1937, as soon oh, okay. as they heard that the film was going to get made. That makes sense. So a group from Pittsburgh in particular wrote to the producer, whose name was David Selznick, saying, We consider this work to be a glorification of the old rotten system of slavery, propaganda for race hatreds and bigotry, and incitement of lynching. Not entirely wrong. Well, it was a really fair concern. So after The Birth of a Nation, another film, Mm. was produced in 1915, lynchings rose fivefold. Oh, my God. And the support for the KKK also increased. Yeah, I remember. (laughs) That sounded like I was there. (laughs) All right, vampire, way to come out. (laughs) I'm not Cassius Marcellus Clay. (laughs) Ah, deep cut for any of our listeners there. Mm. Um... No, but I, I do I do know about Birth of a Nation yeah. and the resulting, you know, influence yeah. it had on society and particularly the influence it had on KKK recruitment. Absolutely. So like this was a relevant concern. Yeah. People knew what the book was like. Yeah. Um like Gone with the Wind, again, it's not it's not the worst, mm. but it definitely has so when I talk about the involvement of the KKK in the book, yeah. basically there's a scene in the film where Scarlett, who's very headstrong, yep. insists on run- riding past a shantytown because that's when she's got um, her own warehouse, I think, her own factory. Yeah. Um, yeah. And when that happens, she gets attacked by a black man. Right, yes, I, I, yeah. And that night, her white male friends, Mm -hmm. uh, in the film, they have a political meeting where Mm. it becomes clear that they've gone out after this person. Yeah. And probably lynched him. Yeah. A political meeting involving guns and... Yeah. Hunting dogs and, yeah. In the book, they've got white robes and stuff. Right, yeah. In the film, they were like, we're not doing that. Mm. That's a bad move. Oh, yeah, you know, it's just, um, <laughs> you know, it's just, it's a casual thing. It's not the Ku Klux Klan. No, no, this is a, this is just a bunch of guys who want to... Mob lynch- justice. Yeah, you know, lynchings and all that. Proud Southern mm. States tradition. Like, yeah. I mean, I've got to say, in the book and I'm really ashamed of my former self for this. Yeah. In the book, it gives a justification, oh. and I bought the justification for much longer than I should have done, oh, like, no. into, into up to about the age of 14. Whoa, okay. <laughs> <laughs> we lived in a very white area. We did. Yeah. Okay, so it wasn't clear that this was about black men. Oh, I see, right. What it was clear about was that it was about the assault of white women and the fact that white women at the time could not come forward to say that they had been assaulted i see okay so so actually it's deeply disturbing from a patriarchal point perspective as well it's it's that really insidious form where it's like you know it's It's it's, just about protecting women yeah which it's not which you know you still see you're seeing arguments today about that, like using that line. Using that line, yeah, and yeah. I'm pretty sure you see it for to justify anything, to justify mm. specific forms of racism, to justify transphobia. I was we say, see it yeah. for all kinds of stuff. Yeah. Oh God. Anyway, yeah, that's you, the argument. You need protecting. You are a delicate flower, and I, I will protect you from. And you know what? <laughs> it would be my own fault if, like a headstrong person, I went where I felt like. <laughs> 
as if you could walk around the place as you And then will. when my male friend gets shot, it'll be my own fault. Yeah, absolutely. Which is, you know, what happens in the film. Yeah. Whoa, spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> We're spoiling everything today. It's been... More than 75 years <laughs> yeah. since this came out. You can you can catch up. <laughs> yeah, like, this was contemporaneous with the start of the Second World War. Like, yeah. <laughs> I don't think we need to give a spoiler <laughs> warning for that. <laughs> but yeah, it's one of those horrible pervasive arguments. I feel mm. bad that I fell for it for a while. Mm. Um, I'm going to justify myself by saying I was a teenager who'd not considered the fact that they are talking specifically about black people because... Yeah. That was not made clear to me in the novel. Mm. Uh, but at the same time, yeah, we need to talk about these things with young people so that they don't have the same yeah, absolutely as me there. Makes sense. So people were very concerned about this film. Uh, Walter White, who was the secretary for the NAACP. Yeah, which, Iro- ironic name. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, no, wait. It was, was it this one of those things where it's like, you have a slave family that's called White because isn't that funny? I don't know. Walter White had five black great-great-great-grandparents and the rest of them were white. Oh, okay. He's very white appearing. He identified as black. Mm. He grew up with black communities and went to a black-only university. Right, yeah. Um, And seems to have been generally accepted as being black, so we will accept him as black also. Yeah, yeah that's fair. Uh, but I, mean, I don't if, know where his surname came from. No, that's fair. I mean, if if he says he's black, if he's accepted by other black people as black, then he's black. Like, <laughs> it seems to have been quite useful for him because apparently he used to, and this was very brave of him, go and investigate lynchings in the oh, South. Wow. And obviously because he came across as white, he was able to do that yeah. and ask questions of the white community, but also he was able to talk with the black community in a way that was more comfortable for them because, you know, he'd grown up with black people and actually yeah. understood how to talk to them and wasn't looking down on them. God, just what an awful time where it's like, you can pass as white, so you're able to actually, you know, just just find out about these things. Like, yeah. just be around. Just and, go and ask questions yeah. without being attacked and yeah. probably killed. I mean, there was one point where people said that a yellow gentleman had been uh, trying to pass as white and tried to find him on a train. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, because at the time, he would have been called yellow. Yeah, well, you know, jaundice does terrible things to people. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I know. <laughs> Anyway, so Walter White contacted Selznick several times. Mm-hmm. He was concerned that the black characters in the film would largely mirror the black characters in the book and, you know, be exactly like they are in the film, happy with their lot, etc. Yeah. Um, but concerns weren't just raised by African Americans. There was also an associate of the Conference of American Rabbis. Oh, okay. Who told Selznick that the novel, although it entertained readers, uh, was also anti-black right um and they said that Selznick should not cater to the public's narrow-mindedness in part because it was wrong Mm -hmm. and in part because he like most of his Hollywood peers was Jewish right okay yes yeah and obviously this is 1939 anti-Jewish sentiment is also coming to a peak as well yeah it is that crossover you get like people are not 
generally racist against just one group. They no. tend to spread out their racism. You and don't want to encourage the Ku Klux Klan to be round. Yeah. If you're, like, you don't anyway, but you especially don't if you're Jewish. No, but just like any sort of racism, mm. it just it tends to expand. And at some point, at some point, like conspiracy theories and all the mad stuff that comes out of right-wing punditry, at some point, it starts including Jewish people. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Um, oddly, the Hayes office, which was the American censors of the time, right, seems to have been reasonably decent in their decisions in terms of censoring. Okay. They said that the N-word should not be spoken by white characters. Oh, okay. Yeah. They said that black characters could say it. Hmm. Which I kind of understand. I mean, it's a, it's a bit of a rule of thumb now. Yeah. Like, given artistic license or, you know, colloquialisms... You will, you may well see black people on TV or in films using the N-word. Because, but white people will not. Yeah. Unless you've decided to make someone real, real evil. Oh, yes. Yeah. Um, but actually, at the time, I don't think that that had started to become a thing. Okay. It had not started to be reclaimed in the way that yeah. it has. So, Well, to an extent. Well, to an extent. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, for example, at the time... Um, Butterfly McQueen, which is the most fabulous That's name. Amazing. That's the name. actress who played Prissy. Oh, okay. Her name was Butterfly. Her name was Butterfly. That's fantastic. She and also, this was before the hippie movement. I know, and she also also later played another character called Butterfly. Wow. That's It's wild. a fabulous name. <laughs> Butterfly McQueen. Butterfly as well. McQueen. And Hattie McDaniels, who played Mammy, mm-hmm. uh, they both complained about it. Yeah. I think Butterfly complained about it louder than Hattie. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think Hattie McDaniels, as we'll get on to, didn't really want to rock the boat too much. Right, yeah. Um, but this was maybe the only thing that she complained about. She said, I am race proud and I will not use that word. Yeah, fair. Which, absolutely fair. Yeah, absolutely. Um and also, at this point, they were thinking about re-releasing The Birth of a Nation. Oh, no. Really? Really. Um, so, the director of the Hayes office sort of ummed and ahed about it. Yeah. And then was like, I strongly suggest that you don't use the word at all. Yeah. And after a while, Solznick gave in and removed it entirely. Yeah. It's there in the book. Mm-hmm. It was there in the original script. Right. Um, it got cut from the final script and doesn't exist in the film. Yeah. They uh, use the word darkies. Right, yeah. Which, uh, Yeah. And Not I think good, they use it's... inferiors at a couple of points, but I think that's only if you're a bad person. Yeah, that, that. yeah. Um, but they got rid of any, like, they got rid of the N-word, yeah. <laughs> which is, you know... A start, a start. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's obviously like the words you've just used are not great, no. but the N word is generally considered the worst. That's why we're sen- uh, that's exactly. why we're censoring yeah. it. <laughs> that's why we're <laughs> not we saying the it. D word. You wouldn't know what we meant. <laughs> Dick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it would be very different. Um, so this kind of appeased the African American press a bit. Because obviously they were not happy about the idea of this film getting made at all. Yeah. And they were like, you know, that, that'll that do. That's a start. Mm. However, once filming got underway, it turned out that while all of this attention had been paid by the press to the portrayal of African-Americans, yeah. 
the actual treatment of African Americans on set had been overlooked in one major respect. Okay. Segregation. Oh, of course. Oh, God, I hadn't even thought of that. Right? And this is the thing. We live in a much nicer age. Not a perfect age, by any means. No. But much nicer. We forget that segregation existed. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, we do have a Home Secretary currently who says that multiculturalism has failed. and like <laughs> She is a prime example of multiculturalism in the mind. I know. Anyway, yeah. She's not the brightest. <laughs> I mean... But yeah, yeah, segregation is one of those things that when I think about it, I know, obviously, it did happen relatively recently. Oh, yes. But I still think of it as, like, a long time ago. Maybe it's because it's also something that didn't obviously happen in the UK. Mm, You know, like, we've got de facto segregation. Yeah. Like, a sort of economic segregation of housing and things like that. But we'd never had, like, labelled whites coloured yeah. areas um, whereas obviously that did happen in America but in my mind it always happens in the south yeah I didn't realise it happened in California and also you kind of feel like or at least when I think about it I think about it in like an everyday life context not a sort of special form of life like a movie set yeah I guess that makes sense you're yeah. kind of like okay so schools and schools and cafes yeah. restaurants transportation famously but like, not something that's set up once yeah exactly yeah. not like a special okay we are you know we are creating something we are performing like but yeah no yeah. of course it would be of course it would be part of that as well yeah so Lenny Blewett was an extra in the cast. Yeah. And he was appalled when he went out for a big battle scene. Mm-hmm. He said there were 600 black members of the cast. Yeah. And he saw that there were 100 toilets, you know, toilet cubicle type yeah. things on this big outdoor set. And he said that when you went and looked down at the signs went white colored, white colored, white colored, white colored, oh all God. the way down. Yeah. Now, he, being a bold guy, he went with a couple of the other black actors and knocked on Clark Gable's door. Oh, okay. And said, hi, (laughs) we need to show you something. Okay. And according to him, in an interview he did with NPR, which I highly recommend anyone listening look this up, because it's a little three-minute clip of him talking about this incident, and it's wonderful. He's... Such an interesting man. Okay. Um, According to him, Gable looked at the signs and he cussed like a sailor. (laughs) Excellent. And then he threatened to walk if the signs didn't come down. Whoa. Fair play, Clark. Which was a bold move. I mean, the thing is that Clark Gable knew that they weren't going to film this without him and there was no way they were replacing him. Yeah. The film had been held back for two years because they were waiting for him to be free. Whoa. Uh, He was one of those people who was under contract to a different studio. Right, yeah. And so this was the first time he could film with them. Oh, wow. And yeah, they had held on for him. Oh, so he really had a lot of power. He had all the power in this. So was that why Lenny and his friends went along to Clark in the first place? I think so. Right. And also, it seems like, in this respect, he was a pretty stand-up guy. Fair enough. And was like... Yeah, no, that's not on. Get rid of segregation. So immediately the signs came down and that was it. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, of course, I can't talk about Gone with the Wind without talking about its Oscars. Mm-hmm. So Gone with the Wind won nine Oscars. Damn. Yeah. Impressive. <laughs> and one of these was for Best Supporting Actress. Okay. And this went to Hattie McDaniel. 
Yay. for playing Mammy. Now, this was the first Oscar ever to be won by an African-American. Oh, that's fantastic. And no other black woman won one for another 50 years. 50? 50. 50 years. Oh, my God. Which was Whoopi Goldberg, Best Supporting Actress in Ghost. Uh, Isn't that wild? That is wild. Like, fair play. Like, Whoopi Goldberg does do a good performance in Ghost. <laughs> yeah. But, like... But there have been so many good African-American yeah. female performances bet- in that 50-year span yeah. that just got ignored. Wow. And also this has to be in part because for so much of history, black female roles were held down to being somebody's slave. Yeah. Like Hattie McDaniels always had to play. Yeah, that makes sense. So, or yeah, some sort of caricature character as yeah, well. Yeah, as well. So, yeah, like everything else in Gone with the Wind, Mammy's a bit of a controversial character. Yeah. Um, so I remember when I first watched the film, I absolutely loved her as a character. Yeah. I'd never seen a character like her before. And I really liked how much she told Scarlett off because yeah. somebody needed to. And she's the only person <laughs> apart from Clark Gable who does. Yeah. Um, and obviously the reason why I haven't seen a character like her, and I still haven't, mm. is Probably because of being British. Yeah. Because I'm very aware that a mammy as a character is a stereotype and yeah. gets played out quite a lot. Mm. It's just one of those weird things for me where it's like, I just I just have never seen that character before or since. We would not see her down at the music hall at the <laughs> fashionable West End of London. <laughs> no, I mean... I, I know what you mean. Like, it, it's almost like it's a trope that doesn't really translate over here. Yeah. I mean, definitely in the 90s, there was a tendency towards having the sassy black female best friend character, which yeah. I guess is what Mammy turned into. Yeah. You've got that. And you've also got, like, the wise or sometimes slightly magical black person who's <laughs> oh, yeah. there to give advice and help the white person with their troubles. Yeah. I mean, Key and Peele have a fantastic sketch about they it. They absolutely do (laughs) yeah that but i think in terms of mammies mammy is the only mammy i've ever seen right yeah um and mcdaniel herself seems to have been fine with playing mammy yeah well i mean i guess for her it's solid work Mm. and she had led a life which kind of vacillated between acting jobs and serving jobs okay. because of the nature of being a black actress in the 1930s. Yeah. She said, I can be a maid for $7 a week or I can play a maid for $700 a week. Yeah, fair which is enough, like, yeah. Fair point. Yeah. And I mean, with the money for playing Mammy and with her slight fame that she got for this mm. she made a lot of friends in hollywood and apparently through amazing parties which let which were you know desegregated parties yeah fair. Uh, clark gable was a really good friend of hers and stayed a good friend of hers for the rest of her life oh that's nice like that kind of thing yeah so i think she was having a good time yeah sounds it but she also seems really not to have wanted to rock the boat okay yeah i mean fair enough like not everyone has to be you know an activist or no. a revolutionary so, like, for some people, just living your life is enough. And yeah. that's fine. I think she still saw herself as being kind of a spokesperson for the black community in film. But yeah. she saw it as she wanted to be to come across as well as possible yeah. in order to recommend black people. I get it. yeah. Whereas the NAACP definitely wanted to be more outspoken and mm. more standing up for their own rights. Yeah, and I mean... 
One is, to be fair, more likely to be noticed than the other. Yeah. Um, but like I said, like not everyone has to be that the firebrand. No. Absolutely not. So Butterfly McQueen rebelled against the character of Prissy. Yeah, fair which enough. Which is very understandable. So if you remember in the film, Prissy is dumb. Mm. Uh, she's really whiny. Yeah. And she's not meant to be bright at all. Yeah. And she really didn't like this character, which I think is very fair. Yeah. Um, so she used to intentionally mess up her lines because oh, she wow. didn't want to do them. <laughs> Oh, that's great. And also, you remember there's a scene where um, Scarlet slaps Prissy because I think it's something oh, to do with the baby. Yes, I do. It's really quite hard to watch. Yeah. Vivian Lee slapped her too hard. <gasps> okay. And Butterfly demanded that she apologize. Damn. That is cool. Which is cool. But at the same time, McDaniel was like, you'll never come back to Hollywood. Yeah. You complain too much. Yeah. Which... I know. She's kind of... She's semi-accurate, really. Yeah. She was a person who managed to maintain a reasonable career for quite a long time by playing the same kind of stereotypical characters. And you can understand her viewpoint as a jobbing actor. Oh, absolutely. A lot of people have put up with a lot of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, this is true. So, when it came time for the premiere... Selznick reckoned that it would be a lovely idea to premiere in Atlanta, Georgia, because that's where the film takes place. Oh, no. (laughs) Can you see what the problem's going to be? I can, but continue. The Jim Crow laws meant that none of the black actors were permitted to attend. Hooray! Hooray! Uh, Clark Gable was a stand-up guy, and he threatened to boycott the whole premiere. Nice. Uh, But actually, um, McDaniel was like, you need to go. Oh. And she talked him out of boycotting. Oh. I know. That's actually a bit sad. It is a bit sad. Um, the original author of Gone with the Wind sent her a telegram saying, I wish you'd been here to hear the applause. Oh. Which is like so sad. That's heartbreaking. But also, you wrote a real racist book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know, right? <laughs> um And when it came to the Oscars, the same issue nearly happened again. This one took place at the Ambassador Hotel in Los Angeles. And McDaniels was only allowed to attend by a special favour. Wow. Oh, for God's sake. Right. Yeah. And she had to sit on a separate table from her co-stars with just her and her agents. Oh, my God. At the back of the room. Oh, my God. Yeah. She was also the first African-American to be allowed to attend an Oscar ceremony at all. Wow. It's just, it's just nonsense. It's just I ridiculous. Know, right? It's like, okay, so we're going we're gonna to be fine with watching these yeah. performances, these amazing performances by black actors. Yeah. But we're not going to sit with them. Yeah, right? We're going to we- work with them. We're going to pay them. But we don't want them around afterwards. Like, what the hell? Yeah. Like, what do you think is... Oh, my God. It's so dumb, especially because when it comes to the premiere as well... Yeah. So they had an African-American children's choir to perform beforehand. And then they had to get out before the film started. One of the kids was Martin Luther King Jr. What? No! (laughs) What? This is (laughs) wild! What the hell? That is cool. Don't get me wrong. But but also, oh my God. (laughs) My mind is blown right now. (laughs) Anyways, so she gave a speech... 
which is still held as one of the most beautiful speeches made at, a, at an Oscars ceremony. Mm. And part of it was Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences, fellow members of the motion pi- picture industry and honoured guests, this is one of the happiest moments of my life. And I want to thank each one of you who had a part in selecting me for one of their awards for your kindness. It has made me feel very, very humble, and I shall always hold it as a beacon for anything that I may be able to do in the future. I sincerely hope I shall always be a credit to my race and to the motion picture industry. My heart is too full to tell you just how I feel, and may I say thank you and God bless you. Oh. Which, I think she was very good at swallowing any Mm. anger and being like, I just need to present myself in this particular way all the time. Yeah... I suspect that she must have seen this as a, a step forward. Yeah. And she wants other African Americans to be able to win in the future. Yeah. So she's going to be real nice. Yeah. I mean, I've said it like twice now. If that's her way of doing of dealing mm. with it, fair enough. It's legitimate. Whether or not it's effective can be argued, but yeah. you know, it's her life. I think it's also recognizing the fact that it I imagine there must have been a lot going on behind the scenes Mm. for her to get that win. Oh, yeah. Because also, um, Olivia de Havilland, who was also in Gone with the Wind, Mm. was nominated for Best Supporting Actress. Oh, right, yeah. She could very easily have won. Yeah. And they chose a black actress instead. Yeah. Which they must have had to think quite hard about that, actually, for Mm. the time. Yeah, that would have been a hell of a big decision. Yeah. So I think this might be partly acknowledging yeah, just that. That makes sense. Like, ultimately, she deserved it, yeah. for sure. And a lot of her co-stars went back to her little teeny tiny table to say congratulations afterwards, Aww. including Olivia de Havilland. Aww. Although apparently she then burst into tears and had to run off into the kitchen. Aww. But I don't know whether that was because she had lost yeah. or whether it was because she was overwhelmed by the situation. Right, yeah. And then um, the director's wife went back, with, went back to get her and told her to grow up. <laughs> Wow. Well, that's harsh. <laughs> Which is so harsh. Like, you've, mi- you've missed out on one of the biggest awards that you might get as an actor. Like, yeah. it's just fair enough. Get a hold of yourself, woman. <laughs> Slaps her. <laughs> I mean, I imagine I so. Probably, it was that yeah. time, wasn't it? Yeah. Oh, thank you. I was getting hysterical. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, many of the African-American community were not pleased by her Oscar win. Okay. Yeah. Um, because to them... It seemed like proof that you could only win by conceding to everything that white directors wanted. that makes sense. But I think it's important to say, when I say many of the African-American community, I am only talking about the ones I know about. Mm. So I'm only talking about major African-American groups who may have been a lot more sort of firm in their opinions and want a lot more fights than... Mm an average African-American person would be able to give, yeah. if, that, if that makes sense in this it, it, it does. It's, it, they're all legitimate views. Yeah. Like This is why, I mean, this is a controversial topic, just yeah. in that there's so many different views you could have about it, oh, I think. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Thank you for listening to That Time When. If you have any suggestions for episodes, you can email us at ttwpod at gmail.com. And thank you, as always, to Kevin McLeod for our theme song, Anachronist, as well as any other music that Barnaby's used in this podcast. Thank you for listening. Now go out, invest in eels, and don't re-release really racist films. Oh, God, no. Don't watch Birth of a Nation. No. Bye. Bye.